0: If you're new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy. And after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real life behind the scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. Now, for those of you who have been following the podcast, you'll know this is our first episode back after summer holidays. My intentions for the summer were to reset and recharge a bit, I was still working in my clinical role as well as in my role as a clinic director, but I had tried to reduce the extras and I had planned some time off to do some fun things with my family. My hope was to come back into this fall feeling purposeful and energized to dive back into the various projects and extras again. I feel like you likely know where I'm headed with all these good intentions and hopes. Here it is. It hasn't panned out as I hoped, and let me tell you why. This summer has been marked by multiple compounding factors. First, we're now a year and a half into a pandemic that continues to play into our daily lives and decision making. Contentious feelings around vaccines, masks, and all the rest plague individuals, impact relationships, and are continuing to fray the fabric of our society. We're also continuing to face an overdose crisis that's having widespread impact on communities and the frontline workers who are in daily contact with the realness of the situation. This summer in BC has also seen heat waves leading to an intensity in first responder need that has likely been unmatched and a backlash from the public and the media following long wait times and significant casualties related to a lack of preparedness on the part of our systems. We've also seen the wildfires in BC cause unprecedented displacement and damage, again calling on our first responders and frontline workers to risk of themselves to keep our communities as safe as possible. The level of need we've seen coming to our clinic as a result of all of these pieces, along with the regular life challenges that people are facing, has been incredibly intense. In my 12 years working as a clinician, I've never experienced a summer like this one. The pace is one thing, the stories are another. The stories emerging from my clinical work this summer have been confronting. Stories about responding in the heat wave, the number of overdose calls in a shift, the weight of public opinion, the lack of support, the staff shortages resulting in offers of double or triple overtime just to get people in, burnout is running stupid high right now. I keep hearing about it from those in my office, my friends on the front lines, and from those of you who are connecting with me. People are running for the hills exhausted, burnt out, and tired of sacrificing themselves to the work, people are leaving in mass exoduses to try to save what's left of themselves. I always know that if I'm tired and I'm feeling the weight of the demands and needs, that this is just a small and tiny reflection of what those on the front lines are feeling. I'm feeling it because you are feeling it so much more. And this summer, we've been feeling it. So here we are now kicking off the fall. And for me, it's not with the refreshed energy and outlook I hoped to have. My guess is you might be in the same boat. And reflecting on these past couple of months, as well as the past year and a half and beyond that, I'm aware that the risk for those on the front lines in the midst of the amount of crises that have been piling on top of each other is for more than just burnout. You see, burnout is a gradual process. A bit like Chinese water torture, any given drip might be tolerable, but the incessant and prolonged exposure to one after another after another with no promise of it changing or stopping is what ends up getting to us. And when we reach a breaking point, burnout can move into more significant concerns, including risks for vicarious trauma, compassion fatigue, PTSD, depression, anxiety, addiction concerns, relationship concerns, and if left unmitigated, suicide. Today marks the start of our series on suicide prevention for first responders and frontline workers in the workplace. Acknowledging that this Friday, September 10th, is Suicide Prevention Day. And that the risk for suicide is higher among first responders and frontline workers than many other occupational groups. The timing seems right for us to focus on this and consider how we can be ambassadors for change. As I look at the burnout that's taking place for those of you in this high risk occupational category, I am really genuinely concerned and worried about what this time of ongoing intensity will mean for suicide rates over the coming months and year. Because of this, I want to use this platform to try to offer some skills for navigating suicide risk, and I hope you will help me support safety for your coworkers and colleagues by sharing about this series and encouraging those in your sphere of influence to listen in and use some of our other tools like our Beating the Breaking Point Indicators Checklist and Triage Guide for self-assessing burnout and risks for related concerns. I anticipate that this series will be less than comfortable. It's often hard to talk about suicide. It's even harder to talk about it as it relates to our own experience rather than something that happens with patients or those that we serve. I hear a lot in my clinical work about the impacts of suicide within the workplace, the deaths of coworkers or medical leaves from attempts, the way that these weigh heavy and yet aren't really talked about for fear of acknowledging that we might be at risk too. I get it. Pausing to take stock of our own vulnerabilities and risk exposure is not appealing. It can feel too exposing and we can feel fearful that looking at it will make it feel more real. Here's the thing about suicide. It doesn't live in a vacuum. It isn't something that just spontaneously shows up one day. It's the result of the gradual wear. It's the culmination of feeling like I've had to fight too hard for too long. And it's why we need to talk about this because to some extent we're all at some degree of risk. For today, I want to focus on talking about some skills we're going to need to have in place in order to walk the rest of this series together. For those who received our weekly summer e-newsletter, this will be a bit of a recap. To be able to sit in the discomfort of this topic and the vulnerability of our own risk as well as the risk of those close to us in our workplaces we need four key skills here they are clarity boundaries bravery and empathy let's take each of these one at a time talk about what they mean how they relate to our series on suicide prevention and how we go about enacting them to help us navigate this series with openness to take something meaningful from it first up clarity clarity can seem like a fairly simple and straightforward concept to be clear about something but the challenge with clarity is that it doesn't come without some effort clarity doesn't tend to just land in our lap it requires that we carve out some space and time to shut out the noise and focus in we need to get clear We don't just stumble into it. To work on our wellness and develop skills to reduce the risk for suicide and the mental health concerns that tend to lead towards suicide, we need to cultivate a routine of stepping back from the noise and chaos to get clear about the challenges we're facing, the impacts those challenges are having on our wellness and our lives, the needs we may have in the midst of these challenges, and the strategies for supporting these needs by using or developing supports, resources, and tools. I say often that we can't address problems we aren't aware of. This is what clarity is really about, seeing what's happening, getting clear on breaking it down and figuring out what needs to happen to reduce or resolve it. Feeling caught in a never-ending spiral of meeting unreasonable demands from our employer and the public Mixed with sacrificing so much of ourselves to the work, along with the detrimental impact this tends to gradually have on our relationships with spouses, children, family, and friends, can set us on a trajectory toward hopelessness, helplessness, and powerlessness. And this is a dangerous combination. Prioritizing time for clarity and working to anchor to the things we value and leaning into being the person who lives out our values can be protective. It can help divert us from the trajectory and keep us rooted to hope, connection, and empowerment. So how do we implement clarity? Start by doing two things. First, go to our site by Googling behind the line Lindsay and click on the homepage in the top menu. From there, click to download our Beating the Breaking Point Indicators Checklist and Triage Guide. Print off several copies of the self-assessment page. Next, set aside some time in your calendar on a monthly basis to start. Each month during this time, use the self-assessment to see where you're at. Use this to ask yourself some key questions about the areas where you seem to be struggling and what you can do to help support those areas more proactively for the coming month. If you want to dive even deeper, have your spouse or partner or a trusted person in your life fill out the assessment as they see you and ask for their feedback on ways you may need to be focusing on supporting your wellness differently. This is a practical way you can start carving out time and space for clarity and a structured tool that can help prompt questions to kick things off. As you feel more comfortable and confident in this process, you can grow your questions to consider additional areas of your life not covered in the indicators checklist to further refine your clarity as it pertains to your life and the person you want to be within it. Next up, boundaries. Okay, I know we talk a lot about boundaries out there in the world. It's one of those topics that we're really good at paying lip service to, but tend to be less skilled at actually meaningfully engaging. Boundaries often bring up fears for people about offending or hurting other people's feelings. Worries about creating distance in relationships and alienating people in our lives. It also tends to bring up stuff in our culture about humility, self-deprecation, and servitude, and believing we need to be giving and gracious towards others. That said, they say you can't pour from an empty cup, and it's true. If we don't set limits to protect our cup and what's in it, it will quickly be dumped out and run dry. And then what? Then we're at higher risk for burnout, compassion fatigue, vicarious trauma, post-traumatic stress, anxiety, depression, relationship difficulties, and yes, suicide. Now boundaries have two pieces. The first is internal boundaries. These are limits I set with myself. Limits like I'll only stay at an event for an hour to ensure I'm home in time to get the rest I need. I'll only pick up shifts a maximum of twice in a month to ensure that I value my days off and carve out me time, and so on. These are boundaries that I may never speak outside of my own head, but are limits I set with myself to identify what I value and how I will go about reflecting that value and protecting it from getting swayed by things outside of my values. The other piece of boundary setting is external boundaries. These are the more classic type boundaries we tend to think of that we set outwardly with other people. It may include boundaries with coworkers about our willingness to engage in debriefs, or limits with others in our lives around the questions that they ask about our work, or a million and one other examples of limits that need to be set to teach those in our lives how to respect us well and care for our values alongside us. When we engage in identifying areas where we need boundaries, internal and external. And when we work at enacting these consistently to protect what matters to us, we get to lean into what matters to us more and more and feel less and less constrained by distractions and needs that aren't our priority. We get to live more of the lives we long for, and this helps to protect us from some of the hard things I mentioned earlier, like burnout, compassion, fatigue, vicarious trauma, and concerns leading to suicide. To implement this skill, I want you to find some time and make a short list of people who tend to overstep your boundaries or ask a lot of you, or situations where boundaries would help protect your time, energy, and values. It's a short list, so keep it to the top five for now. You can revisit this and change the list down the road. Out of your short list, choose one or two boundaries to focus on for the coming week. My suggestion is not to choose the hardest one to start. Allow yourself a couple of smaller wins in the boundary setting arena before you try to conquer something bigger or with someone you perceive as riskier to set a boundary with. Remember that external boundaries can be set kindly and that ultimately, clear is kind. It allows everyone to be set up for success in having shared expectations that feel reasonable and sustainable. Okay, moving on. Bravery. The thing I think is magical about bravery is that it isn't really about the absence of fear or uncertainty or anxiety. It actually can't exist without those things. Bravery is defined by the existence of fear. It's the doing, engaging, being, showing up in spite of fear, uncertainty, and so on. You can't have it without the shit, which means we all have an invitation to be brave because let's face it, we all have shit going down. Talking about suicide is uncomfortable for most people. And when you've had any exposure to suicide it becomes more complex and riddled with a mixture of feelings that can shut us down. We need to be able to be brave to jump into this topic together. Now being brave doesn't mean ignoring what comes up for us. Whether it's in your daily life, your work, or this upcoming series, your fears and anxieties are indicators that need to be heard and used to meaningfully direct your coping, self care, and wellness actions. Bravery is not about being self sacrificial, that's more like martyrdom. In part, bravery is knowing what we need and engaging this despite the fact that it might be countercultural. It might mean setting boundaries or limiting exposure. Being brave as we embark on our series this month may mean setting aside time to listen and process what comes up rather than skip it all together, rush through, and not make meaning of it. It might mean setting limits around when, how, or who you listen with. It might mean spacing out listening or choosing not to listen if it feels too triggering to engage the topic for now. In terms of implementing, be brave and advocate for you. Not only as we enter into this series, but as we consider what leads first responders and frontline workers to the place of suicide. Be brave in addressing your needs before you're so thick in the weeds that it feels impossible to get out. Be brave in seeking support and asking for help. Be brave in identifying your limits and voicing your boundaries to protect yourself from being drowned by the demands of others try to consider one area to focus on bravery this coming week. Last but not least, empathy. Okay. I know it's classic that the therapist is talking about empathy, right? Hear me out though. While most people know the word empathy and perhaps feel able to practice it in some spaces, it tends to be a bit more complicated than we might imagine. We're familiar with the idea of offering empathy to others. Listening, holding space, being non-judgmental, working to care from our own place of experience that allows us to share in someone else's emotions. It takes time and energy and a willingness to offer of ourselves to go there with someone. We do it because they are worth it. We value them and we genuinely care. But what happens when we need to offer ourselves empathy? Do we have the same capacity to value ourselves, carve out space to hold for ourselves, to really listen to our own needs and feelings, and to engage in these non-judgmentally? That one tends to be trickier. Okay. What does this have to do with suicide risk prevention? The truth is if you work in first response or frontline work, you are more likely than not to have exposure to someone, often many, who have attempted or completed suicide in your workplace. The statistics are staggering and are projected to get worse as we face the long-term consequences of the pandemic and the opioid crisis on those serving on the front lines. You are at risk. I know that may sound dramatic. I promise it isn't. I also promise that the differences between you and those who have attempted or completed suicide are not as significant as you might hope or imagine. We like to think that quote-unquote, those people face serious mental health concerns, addictions, issues, or have other substantial reasons for ending their lives. Meanwhile, the truth is that while these pieces can inform suicide, they don't come from nowhere. They gradually build to the point that we lose control, and it can sneak up on us, any of us. Holding empathy is a key skill for navigating this series on suicide prevention, and it will be a key skill for engaging in some of the processes we'll discuss within the series to protect ourselves and those we work with. Being able to take time to extend empathic care for coworkers and those you see impacted within the work is a valuable resource you can offer to protect those you work alongside. Being able to take time to extend empathic care for yourself is an even more important capacity as it allows you more to give to others a better quality of you and it serves to protect you from some of the risks of getting too far down the rabbit hole without a way to dig back out. A few ways to start working on empathy for self. First, set aside time. Sit with yourself without distractions and consider how you're doing. What are you struggling with lately? Where do you expend energy? What do you wish were different in your life? What do you love about your life? Sounds a lot like growing clarity, don't you think? Number two, consider the answers to these questions and hear them non-judgmentally. Consider what needs emerge from the answers to these questions. Treat yourself the way you would treat someone else that you're caring for in hearing them empathically. Number three, Work to address the needs with a heart of caring for you, the same way you would for someone else. Number four, engage in general self-care and wellness practices. These are the things that help to sustain us. And number five, review this process regularly. Don't make it a one and done. It won't last you forever. We have to continue to engage it with ourselves, just like how we continually check in with a friend who's struggling or someone else in our life. As we move to wrap up today, I want to take a minute to thank all of you, actually for a lot of things. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being willing to move into the topic of suicide risk prevention with me and joining me in being an ambassador for change within your workplace and within yourself. Thank you for the work you do, for showing up and offering what you can to our communities who rely on you. Thank you for setting limits for those of you who are part of the Exodus, Thank you for knowing your limits and being brave and claiming your life as worth caring for. I know it's not easy to make the decision to change jobs, locations, or entire career paths. For those of you showing up day to day and feeling the added weight of the exodus and the resulting staffing shortages, thank you for your continued dedication to our communities and willingness to hang on. That said, I hope you're finding ways to care for yourself and support your wellness because the current pace in many first response and frontline occupations is not sustainable. I hope that you'll take the suggestions and work on carving out some time to implement some of the skills we've talked about today. You'll find additional resources and links to some of the mentioned tools from today's episode in the show notes, which you can find on our podcast page by searching Behind the Line Lindsay. As always, know that you can reach out and connect with me on social media at lindsayafoss.com or by emailing me at support at thrive-life.ca. I always love hearing from you and would value your thoughts and feedback as we navigate this series together. Until next time, stay safe.